What is up, guys? Gary here, and I'm back again with a new episode of Hop Talk, the Hop podcast where we sit down and talk craft beer with some of our favorite people in the beer industry. In today's episode, I'm hanging out with my buddy and all-time great guy, Hal Mooney, the founder of LA Beer Hop and your beer friend. Hal is what you would call a professional beer taster. In his pre-pandemic life, he operated LA Beer Hop, a fleet of beer tour buses where he guided passengers around to LA's coolest breweries and introduced them to the wonderful, exciting world of craft beer. Today, he operates Your Beer Friend, a guided virtual beer tasting experience for private groups, as well as a monthly beer membership subscription club, where he's leading beer tastings of rad, local, regional, national, and international beers all day, every day. Okay, maybe not all day, every day, but probably as as frequently as his body allows him to do it. So yeah, you can kind of say that learning beer, tasting beer, experiencing beer, and helping other people do the same is his thing. Listen in on our conversation as we chat through Hal's roots in beer, his experience in the beer industry, a guided one-on-one Oktoberfest tasting, and so, 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 so much more. I had such a blast catching up with my buddy Hal, and I hope you guys enjoy the conversation as much as I did. But before we get into it, I gotta give a shout out to our awesome sponsors. High Low Liquor Market, the best craft beer store in Southern California, hands down. Their beer selection is top notch. The people there are super friendly. Their stores are very stylish and cool. And did I mention they have an awesome selection of beer? Head out to their stores in Culver City, Long Beach, or their new one in Costa Mesa, and definitely check them out for yourselves. They do a really cool Friday flight tasting that is super fun. They also do delivery if that's more your thing. I don't know what I'd do if it wasn't for Hilo. My beer fridge would be much less impressive, I'll tell you that much. So check them out, Hilo, drink well. Sit back, crack open a cold one, and enjoy the show. I'm starting things off with this Pilsner from Wagon Wheel. Um, up in Oxnard. Oh, okay. Yeah, so these guys are, um, they've been putting out beers, contracting out of Transmission and Ventura, but they their system just got put in online, and uh, they're probably a month or two out from cranking out beers themselves on their own system, and it's a brew pub in, like, a retail center in Oxnard. Um, cool. Brew, brewers formerly of modern times, so the beers are really, really good. I love the can, the pinch pills. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. German pills, Moxie West Coast Double, Roller Gardens West Coast IPA. Cool. I mean, their 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 photography on on their website is like all over the place. It's kind of like half Pinterest, half like <laughs> German inspired craft. Um yeah. Oh, and they have so much merch. So much merch. <laughs> you know, it's like the idea of a brewery happens way before the brewery actually happens. And so you like make merch and you put things on a website and then maybe yeah. one day uh, the beer actually comes out. So, you know, it's a, <laughs> one of those interesting business models. But ultimately, the beer's been really good. So um, cool. So I like that. Head retention is pretty low. 
Yeah. Are there any other breweries in Oxnard? Casa Agria. Oh. And Oxnard? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And um, I guess uh, 14 Cannons is opening up. They're technically going to be in Oxnard also. Channel Islands. Um, okay. Channel Islands Harbor. So they're opening up a little brew, a little R&D brewery there. Oh, good for them. Everything yeah. I've had for them has been good, man. I like them a lot. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, super clean, like not exciting, and I love it. And yeah. just like really straight approaches to really tasty beer. For sure. Yeah. I'm and, into uh, that, our, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, please, man. Um, a buddy of mine is opening up Bright Spark Brewing. Do you know Tim Harbage? Uh, I don't know him personally, but I've been tracking the project, and he's uh, former Smog City, right? Former Smog, former Fig Mountain, and former... Uh, he was like the second hire at Golden Road. Got it. Okay. And really like helped build Golden Road and, and grow it up. And he learned a ton. The guy's super smart. Um, he and I had a brewery business model like three or four years ago. Five oh, years really? Ago. Yeah. That we toyed around for a little while and then decided that like we didn't have $3 million um, to do it. Uh, yeah. And so I went off and did my own thing, and then he went off and actually started a brewery, which is super cool. Yeah, I, it, the project seems super exciting. I, I mean, I that space is kind of hits home for me because my parents are up in Ventura; they're like right in that area. Oh, nice. And that brewery, uh, Surf Brewing, was like one of my early um, local brewery experiences after I moved back from San Diego. So it was like, I'm looking forward, you know, concrete jungle took it over and that always, I never went to it, but that always felt like off. That didn't feel like the right vibe. (laughs) I mean, the name, the name concrete, concrete jungle in Ventura just doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) I, I never felt cool enough to go to a concrete jungle event. I'm like, I don't know if I belong here. Like they had like pop ups in downtown. I'm like, that's not, for me, I'm, I'm not on the hip side of things. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to them opening that space up. That I mean, it seems like they're weeks away. Yeah, I just saw them um, mashing in today for the first time, which was pretty cool. Yeah, super excited. exciting. And they're doing um, like East Coast bar style pizza, which is really exciting. That's dope. I've never had it, but I've always heard about it. So good. So good. I can't believe that no one else is out here doing it, and they're going to be the first, and I hope that they make an imprint for being the first because it is really, really fun pizza. It's fun pizza. I'm excited about it's, that. It's crushable pizza. There you go. I mean, yeah, you, you got to get that word worked into any beer podcast. So I'm glad that you were the first one to do it, especially <laughs> when we were drinking lager. I wasn't going to say it first. It's a, it's a word I drop on every tasting. And if people know the word, they're like, fuck yeah. And if they don't know the word, they're like, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it works, right? It just it works. totally plays across the board. Like, oh, okay, this beer's crushable. Okay, I get it. Right. Um, <laughs> when we go into like high-end tasting notes and then suddenly you dial it down to just like the simplicity of crushable. It's really yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's a good... I mean, you kind of have kind of like a little bit of a vocabulary strategy when you go into tastings with people that aren't super beer tasting nerds. So kind of giving them a little sample of like the technicality, technical type of words, and then bringing them back into reality with something that everybody can relate to. Right. 
Absolutely, yeah. And we try and avoid things like this is this beer that tastes like beer, which is definitely something that lands on people, but right. it kind of undercuts, you know, the grandness of all of it. But words like crushable, um, and then like you can throw in fancier words like quaffable to show that like there's a complete continuum all around the same core concept. Is like it's crushable, it's quaffable, it's drinkable. Um, all of these things. And that also kind of unlocks the conversation of like, not every beer is, and that's okay too. Um, so many people judge beers instantly by like, and they say it badly. Like I, I couldn't have very much of this as if that's a bad thing. Um, right. And, and describing some beers as crushable and other beers as not is a way of saying like, you know, you're allowed to not like a lot of a beer, you know, maybe four ounces, five ounces, as much as you want inside of a year of certain beers and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and give, give people a bit out that way is a fun way to help them out. I think that what's interesting about that is when you're saying that I'm kind of like reflecting back on the last two and a half years of my life where I was alone in my apartment at the time and with my wife, but obviously I was like drinking beers and I, ha- I wasn't surrounded by three friends, you know, like I didn't have my brother or like anyone else next to me. So it was either drink the whole thing or like dump it out, which like I'm okay doing, but it never feels great to do. You know, at this point I've done it enough where like I'm kind of uh, desensitized to it, but you know, as a beer drinker, like you're kind of like dump it out. Like I'll just muscle through it and uh, I'll get through it. But, um, but yeah, I think that like that idea of craft beer with friends in groups and pouring four ounces of it, tasting it, whether you love it and want to open up the next can of it, or you're like, got it. That's good for me. That concept kind of like got a little lost over the past couple of years. And I, for one, am all about bringing that back. That's yeah, man. I'm done drinking beer by myself in my garage, even though that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Like it beers, beer tastes better with context. And like the yeah. only way you can really get it, like you can read that helps. You can watch reviews that helps, but nothing is better than doing it with other people in person. Um, at a brewery or in a group or in a group setting. Cause like, you know, if someone mentions that like, Oh yeah, I do get the raisins out of this beer. And then you're like, Oh yeah. And then suddenly the power of suggestion helps. And then boom, you're tasting raisins all of a sudden where you weren't before. Was there raisins yeah. in that beer? doesn't even matter. <laughs> the, context, the context around the beer just changes the entire profile of it. So like, man, we need to drink. And I mean, that goes for everything in the world. We just need people's input on everything because our minds are so limited to what's going on inside of them. Totally. I, and this may be more of a question for like someone like yourself that's tasting a good amount of beer over the years um, and less of like the casual beer drinker. Um, but I feel like when you get that power of suggestion, I got it. Like sometimes I really like it. I'm like, yeah, I get it. That's cool. And sometimes I'm like, damn, now I can't stop thinking about that. And like, maybe I tasted it. Maybe I didn't. But now I feel like where my mind was going is kind of like askew now. And sometimes I'm kind of like, (laughs) man, like being by myself, like doing the tasting notes on my own. Like I kind of feel like that might be a little bit more pure versus where that power of suggestion comes in. I'm like, yeah, I guess I got cherries. And like, now I'm like, did I get cherries? Like, I don't know. Was it better with when yeah, I didn't I think I had cherries? <laughs> it's funny to think of like your palate as being pure and like untainted. Yeah. Like I go into a tasting with a tabula rasa and like find my own way through the woods. And like, yeah, I think there's definitely value to that. Um, 
I mean, especially with Belgians. With Belgians, that can happen a lot where it's like, oh, there is like Band-Aid or there's, you know, chlorophenols or there's nail polish and then you can't get past it. Maybe that's a good thing. You know, if you can't get past a flavor in a beer, maybe that means that beer's wildly out of balance. Um, Mm -hmm. Could also mean just that you're out of balance. Um, but I still, I still prefer that, um, or at least reading, you know, I'll still jump on and read reviews of people's that they've written online, even though online beer reviews are killing beer, um, faster than any bad brewer can. Um, but I'll still read them and I'll, I'll check out and see what other people think about them, uh, to be able to, and I, I don't mean online beer reviewers like what you guys do. I mean, um, crowdsource untapped beer advocate, that kind of stuff. Right, um, right. Where someone gets a someone gets a splash of a, a, a Kolsch at a new brewery and throws it up on Untapped with two stars, saying like, "I don't really like Kolsch." Two stars, right? And it's like, hold <laughs> on. Uh, so that kind of stuff, but but I'll still read them and, and get an understanding of what because so much of what we do is less about how I perceive beer and it's more attempting to understand how other people perceive beer and then help them guide their own minds to like beer more or at least understand the flavors in beer that they don't like and where those come from and what you can possibly do with them if you're stuck drinking them, you know? So to help people like, all right, you know, get past the fact that hoppy does not mean bitter as is now becoming like a life's work for me. Um, because that can really stop people from getting to a place where they're enjoying a ton of hoppy beers that aren't bitter. You know, these big, juicy, rich, fun, expressive beers that have little to no bitterness whatsoever. So to get them to understand that core concept or to get them to understand that like bitter beers are not for everybody, but if you pair them with food, suddenly it's a real thing that has a Mm -hmm. real application. Um, uh, and it can be quite fun. So yeah. Do you find that, that do you find that the bitterness concept uh, is one of the biggest things that you see kind of like holding people back from exploring a, a specific style or category? Um, I, I think traditionally my mind goes to dark beer, like people like, oh, it's dark. Like I can't have a strong beer, you know, I like, can't have a big beer. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that you mention it, I feel like the way IPA has evolved over the years that uh, hops, hoppy has just like, it, it almost doesn't have much of a meaning anymore. Yeah. Being a hoppy beer is just kind of like being a grapey wine. It's like, well, <laughs> what does that mean? Like there's no, there's nothing about it that helps me understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and with people, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, and it's a, it's a good thing. You know, our brains are all built to make patterns, to shortcut our way through life or to save our life because, you know, if we understand that, like, bitter means poison, you know, we're not supposed to be eating bitter it's true. to our own bodies, you know. Yeah. And that's, it's an evolutionary mechanism. I'm, I'm all for it. Now, however, in a tasting environment, which is what we do, when we find people who are like, oh, no, I don't like IPAs. I don't want to try it. That's what really rubs me the wrong way. Um, I can't stand it. It's so frustrating when people are completely closed off to it. Like I won't like it anyway. It's like, well, what's the, what's the harm here? You know, you're going to taste this much of something. And I guess it may be like with what you said earlier, people don't like wasting beer. Right. And I am all for it. Like (laughs) 
when I studied for Cicerone in, in 2012, that was when I like completely broke the stick of pouring beer down the drain where it's like, I have no qualms about it anymore. Life is too short for beer that I'm not enjoying. Um, and so maybe that's a hurdle for some people who are like, I don't want to taste it because I don't even want to get involved and I don't want to waste beer. Um, but yeah, I think if more people could could let beer go down the drain, I think uh, there'd be a lot more open beer drinkers out there. That's a novel concept. I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, my, my brain goes to like, you know, there's people that I've drank beer with who are like, there's still beer on the table. And <laughs> they'll like go and like, you know, shoot all the glasses and, and work their way around. Um, like my my brain just switches that around. Like what if that guy was just like, Wolf and all the burgers or like all of the lasagna that was left on everybody's plate. Like you don't, you just don't need to do that. Um, I, I, it was just, it's just a funny thing about the world that like we prize beer so much. And I mean, no one prizes beer more than us. Like we love beer, but I'm, and I'm totally okay. And I think with that in mind, I, I'm ever more apt to pour it down the drain and open an, and open another one that I do want to drink. Yeah. I I'm, I'm on board with that. It makes your philosophy and what you, the work you guys are doing, I feel like even more noble. And it's like, you're not just tasting beer. You're learning how to appreciate it. You're learning how to appreciate the things you consume and like, you know, set a standard for like, Hey, maybe if I don't like this, I don't have to guzzle it down. You know, like the days of drinking yeah. beer that like, you know, if you weren't a beer drinker and just like chugging a beer, it tasted disgusting, but like you're trying to get drunk or whatever, like, that doesn't have to be your life. Like that philosophy doesn't have to carry over your entire life. So I think I I appreciate what you're, where you're going with that. Yeah. I I love that you think what I'm doing is noble, but like, um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's just a good way. And maybe if more people had the approach that, you know, beer drinking isn't what what we learned in college, that there's like a whole other set of beer drinking um, that can go with food specifically and in small amounts and is shared and, and it's that, uh, that that might make for a healthier drinking environment as well. Yeah. Um, and it's also with, with beer down the drain, it's all about volume for me and my beer journey. It's been about like, man, how you have to fit so many beers into my day, my week, my year. Um, I've got to taste and I've got to read and I've got to understand and, and, and drink all of them. So like, if I don't like one, then, then boom, I get to log that and then I get to move on to the next one. Yeah. Um, beer tasting and like understanding what your beer journey is, is so much about volume. 10,000 beers, man. That's, That's what it takes to become an expert. Yeah, totally. Oh man. Yeah. yeah I don't think about it that way, but yeah, you're totally right. Um, so I, I mentioned the past couple years of pandemic stuff. Like, you know, we, we, I've seen you once or twice since all the, the world got locked down and came back. Um, things are different obviously right oh no we saw i saw you at uh arts district right um the black that's right at the black logger yeah Um, yeah that was cool um but yeah other than that it was virtually so i mean the beer world has changed over the past couple years like things have been different like what's been going on for you just like kind of catch me up to speed on like where you were heading into the pandemic and kind of like what's transpired since then yeah, so we, we started our brewery tour company, LA Beer Hop, in 2012. It's when we fought, we bought our first bus. I was doing tours on nights and weekends while I was working a full-time job. 
And, uh, and then from there it grew and we added more buses, we added more beer guides and LA added, you know, added 90 breweries. Right. Um, when we opened there was, a, there was about eight breweries in LA when we started doing tours, uh, just enough to actually like have a tour. Um, and then it just grew exponentially and there was very little retraction. I think in the time that we operated our tour company, it was like one high profile closure and a couple of smaller closures, like closures that like, it just didn't work out. There was no like, you know, closer aspect. And then iron triangle was the first like big one that like you they had an established brand they had distribution, they had capital. And then it's like, um, so it was interesting to see in the time in which we ran the tour. So then the pandemic hit and um, obviously we couldn't bring people to breweries anymore. They're just, you know, in, in every way we couldn't do it. And even mm-hmm. by the time that breweries started opening up, we still couldn't do tours. Um, breweries weren't doing tasters and they weren't allowing uh, large groups. And they, you know, we didn't want to get on the bus with people. Um, and for the first six months up to even a year in that first wave, yeah. Where things were opening up, it was still impossible for us to operate, especially in the way that we, we, we used to. So we, we never considered it. Um, and so much of what we did was about hospitality. And hospitality during COVID uh, in the reopening phases was really impossible to mm-hmm. do um, in, in any kind of uh, way that we had done before. And hospitality means intimacy and it means, um, you know, bringing people together and, and really, you know, doing things on a personal personal level and it just it didn't work out so at the beginning of the pandemic we started doing virtual beer tastings which is kind of like what we did before where we brought people to breweries but instead we just kind of flipped it where we then brought beer to people and um left the buses at home and started drinking online with people and we loved it and surprisingly people took to it really well I think there's a comfort and like a really uh, a good way of understanding how to drink beer at home um, in a controlled environment and uh, with someone who's leading you through it. And it's kind of like what you were talking about earlier with, um, you know, tasting things on a pure level from like a tabula rasa standpoint. Mm-hmm. One of the worst ways to taste beer is in like a super busy tap room that's got food. Maybe it's got liquor and like cocktails and stuff. It's got skee ball. So like to sit down and to, to like hone your palate about what a black lager should be. It's really good to do at home. And like maybe you line up three black lagers and we kind of talk about the crispness and the dryness of it. We talk about the roast levels and you get to really hone in and we have some food with it to pair very smallly with the beer. Um, so virtual beer tastings worked out really well for us to communicate with people and do what we did best, which is talk to people about beer is the core concept. We're just talking to people about beer. Um, and so we started doing that in the beginning of the pandemic and, and uh, we kept doing it. And now that's what we do full time. We drink beer online with folks and uh, we really love it. We, we, we're continuing to grow it and we're continuing to do it. We, we were returning to in-person events and um, we have some other things that we're, we're potentially working on in the future, like our beer trailer, which um, is a six tap 1955 old school travel trailer, vintage travel trailer. Um, that's cool. That's something that we started. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, we started it pre-pandemic, which it kind of uh, fell in line with our old business model of, of, you know, on the road a lot and moving things around a lot. Um, and so now it's, it's, 
difficult for us to get up and running because it's a very different model than what we're currently running. Mm-hmm. Um, We've still got the trailer, and it looks great, and it pours beer really well. So that's something that's in the future for us, which is exciting. Uh, and then we also have this beer subscription box, which is kind of in line with the virtual beer tastings for private groups. The subscription box is the the monthly curated beer box, um, and there's not it's not like a pick it yourself thing. It's the best six beers we can find each month. Which is not for everybody, you know. Some people are like, I want IPAs only, or you know, I'm I want big imperial pastry stouts, or I want the weirdo stuff. And it's like, well, we'll we'll include a little bit of that each month. But really, it's it's a uh, our subscription box is, is just you got to trust us and you got to go on a beer journey with us. And yeah. we do a lot about creating context about why we chose these beers, why you should know these breweries, um, and trying to create, you know. Um, a full, well-rounded beer opinion in the in the club members for the the beer subscription box. Right, right. So over the course of you know in between 2020 and 2022, it wasn't like a we shut the lights on LA Beer Hop. We've turned on the lights on your beer friend. There was like this kind of like evolution where like LA Beer Hop started doing the tastings and then you were like, all right, let's put this under a new brand that maybe better fits what we're the kind of macro goal that we're trying to achieve here. So at what point were you like, okay, we're going to do this. Let's start figuring out your beer friend. Like when was the move into like this new brand and this new business model, like really like solidified for you? I wish it was solidified. <laughs> it's <not laughs> it's still there, right? <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. We still have both brands. Um, yeah. You know, like we bootstrap everything. We don't have yeah. any investors. We don't have any debt. Um, we, we, we're trying to keep our business as light as possible because it's a weird world, man. <laughs> it's really hard to rely on anything. The, the uh-huh. world shifts super dramatically and very quickly in all industries. Right. And, you know, um, with all aspects of every industry as well. So we've never had the confidence to switch full in to one thing or another, because our whole yeah. goal again is to kind of talk to people about beer. And so we want to have all of the avenues available to us um, because I don't know what the future holds. And I know that, that what we do best is, is that where we connect people to beer and we just want to make sure that we're able to do it with whatever the current climate holds. I don't know if virtual beer tastings are going to um, really stick on for any longer than a couple months from now. Um, I hope they do. I hope people find the same value in it that we do, which is, um, like I said, a really cool, controlled environment to taste beer and, and get good at beer. But, mm-hmm. you know, we may not. So we, we still have both of the brands. We did sell the buses. So that might have been the big, biggest, like, you know, w- uh, wayfinding path mark where it's like, oh, yeah, we got rid of the buses. They were too expensive to maintain um, for any longer. And, and one of the biggest points, I guess, to your point is that when we went to go start up the buses again and, and like test the waters to see, we went back to our insurance agent and um, the insurance was astronomical to a point where we couldn't operate. Oh, wow. Um, so anybody who's operating a bus company right now, I don't know how they're doing it. Um, I mean, I have a couple ideas in mind with how you can operate a bus company. One of which is you have to be quite large uh-huh. in order to get a volume of buses that would enter you into a tier that would you could spread it across the, the all of that, but otherwise it's 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 a really really difficult number to cross over. Interesting, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and that that was pretty. Um, that was a bummer <laughs> to go back to our insurance agent and like, oh, really? Like that's, and that was. I mean, we've we've been in the insurance game for twelve years trying to insure these buses, and it was always our biggest line item was figuring out insurance for these things. And then this year it was like, oh no, that's a price that is completely out, outside of business. Like, we just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was a, a gut punch and we've, we've since moved on and it doesn't mean we couldn't go back when the, when the insurance market mm, makes an adjustment, which the inevitably will. Right. Um, we'll have to wait until that day comes and I'll have to keep bugging my insurance agent. <laughs> like, Hey, and then I have to buy buses again and we have to get up and running in that way. But maybe walking tours, but certainly in-person events. In-person You've done walking guys. tours in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We had a great walking tour in, uh, downtown it was a walking beer and food tour and uh, we started at what was imperial western which is now homebound at mm-hmm. union station and um, obviously there's excellent food and excellent beer there we did tasting there then we walked through little tokyo and we got um some food at some little spots in little, little tokyo that we found um and then we ended up in uh mumford brewing and we got some pizza uh, and then we walked all the way to, to the arts district and, and finished up there. It was a really fun tour. Um, and since then, we could do a similar tour through the kind of Chinatown and uh, the Cornfields area to over to Homage and China, um, Highland Park Chinatown and Angelina Wine Company. Yeah. Um, 101 Ciders. Benny Boy's a little tough to walk to from there. Right. Yeah. A bit of a hike. Um, but you could do it if anyone's doing their own walking tour. Just make sure, you know. Sure, it's not too hot and not too dark. <laughs> if you're walking to, to Benny Boy, um, right? And then there's also a fun walking tour available in like um, Long Beach, uh, Bixby area. Yeah, where you could do Steelcraft, um, hit up Smog City and get some food there. You could go to the new Beachwood Bixby and then end at Ambitious, and that's a fun walking tour as well to hit three really great. I mean, like Smog, Beachwood, and Ambitious. Phew, Baby, you got a stew going. That's a fun. That's a fun tour. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's mm-hmm. uh, one of the interesting things that's popped up over since the kind of explosion of the beer scene. We recently started uh, kind of a weekly series uh, called Beer Hopping. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So it's three spots that are walkable slash Uber cheap Uber um, in a specific neighborhood, and it's like. It's insane how many of opportunities there are now, like literally yeah. like dozens and dozens and dozens. I don't know when we're going to stop doing this series because you can circle back around to the spots that like had six or seven options and do the other three or whatever. Yeah. So it's just uh, it's super interesting to see how things have evolved. And um, yeah, I mean, with the, the beer bus business, whether it comes back or not, I have people asking me like, Hey, do you know of a beer tour company anymore? And I'm just like, no, I mean, I, I don't know any. Um, and now I guess you can do it yourself and you can Uber around, but you don't have kind of the guided tour anymore. Um, yeah, so no, yeah, there's a hole in the market, right? There is. Yeah, absolutely. And someone will come to LA and, and take over. Um, you know, if that's us in the future, that would be great. If it's not us, um, I know of a couple tour companies who are eyeing it already. We yeah. have friends, we have friends in the beer tour industry who might be coming out here. Um, it's not the easiest business to run. Um, but it's really rewarding turning people onto beer and guiding them around. And, and it's funny, it was a business that I always thought would be like, you know, you come on a tour once you learn where the breweries are 
and you learn a little bit about the beer industry and you feel maybe comfortable walking into a beer bar or a brewery. And then you're on your own after that. But in 12 years or yeah, 10 years of running that business, we had a lot of repeat customers. In fact, like the majority of our business was repeat. So people who are like, oh, we like the way that you think about beer. We like the way that you talk about beer. We like the way that you show us how to perceive these breweries and how to look at a beer list or how to talk to a, um, a beer bartender. Um, and they wanted to drink with us further. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you can definitely put a tour together on your own. In fact, we recommend people to do that. Uh, but a lot of people like that context. They want to, to have their hand held a little bit to go into this kind of opaque industry you know uh you, you don't know what you're getting into when you order a cold ipa you're like why is it why is it cold like what's cold is a beer cold all beers cold is an ipa why is it different um and then you talk to a bartender at a, at a brewery and i wish every brewery bartender was great and that's just right. not the reality in the world um there's there's turnover the, the pay scale is just not high enough nor can it be at, at right. these small breweries to to have the top talent um, and consistently. Um, so you might get someone who it's their first week on the job and they're like, cold IPA? <laughs> uh, it's, it's good. Uh, it's hoppy. Uh, you should try it. And that's nice. That's actually, you know, that would be a nice interaction. At least it's right. pleasant. And so to, to have context about that beer and to have people who are like, okay, Let's get a little bit in front of you. Let's talk about what that means, if you care to know. Let's talk about some tasting notes, if you care to know. Uh, and it's a huge, huge aspect, which was such a fun part of the beer industry when we first got into it, is that when you when we would go to breweries in L.A. and really around the country, when they were all first opening, you had the brewer and owner typically serving you. Right. <laughs> like, you walk into Monkish and, like, Henry's there. <laughs> He's like, this is what's going on. This is this beer. I just made it. I mean, Henry's always pretty quiet, but like, you know, you get a context for what was going on in there and you get to understand it. I mean, Henry used to do uh, lead brewery tours of his brewery. He'd, he'd grab like six to eight people in his tiny brewery in Torrance and walk them in and describe how his beers are like tea in a very Henry way. And that was so cool. Um, Eagle Rock Brewery too. I mean, they would, they would lead tours every weekend um, with Steve and Jeremy Robb. That's where I learned a ton about beer through Henry and Steve and, and Jeremy um, leading these brewery tours and giving context about their beers and how their business worked and how their brewery worked and what they think about beer and how Henry likens it to tea. And then like Steve and Jeremy Robb are a little bit more engineer focused um, and they, they, they kind of do it in a different way. And so it was fun to be able to do it at those times with people who have really great minds yeah. and interesting perspectives. Yeah. I think that in-person thing get for me, when I s took my first tour, um, getting the tour of the brewery and kind of getting the behind the scenes feel that like, you kind of feel like a little VIP sort of like that kind of hooked me. I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like I like the fact that I'm back there drinking a beer off the bright tank. Like this is, feels really cool to me. I, I think this is interesting. I'm going to tell people about this. And I was the mm -hmm. type of person that was like a repeat customer. Like I would organize brewery tours for like different groups of friends that I had be like, this is awesome. You guys got to go on this. And like, yeah, it was the, I think 
I love the the beer tour concept and I think the in-person thing. A lot of, you know, when I think about, you know, specifically LA Beer Hop, what you're doing now with your beer friend uh, and what we're doing at Hop, like I just have always felt there's just so much overlap in like kind of the mission of, you know, helping people discover and have really memorable beer experiences. And um, that in-person thing, like over the years, I you know, Beer tour is crossed. You know, it was a was on the roadmap of like, hey, we're gonna, you know, for monetization, we're gonna one day do this. Uh, that quickly kind of got knocked off the list, but uh, um, but it was definitely on our minds because it's such an important piece of the puzzle that um, I'd love to, you know, figure out like how how do we help people enable that? We can give people information digitally and empower mm-hmm. them. So that when they go to a brewery, they can make better decisions, ask better questions and um, yeah, just guide their own experience. But yeah, thinking through like, how do you do that on site? Um, yeah, I mean, maybe one day we, we do do something. I, I do think that like there's that's part of like what we're trying to achieve is like getting people to experience in, in interesting and memorable ways, you know? Absolutely. And like a lot of it's subconscious too, you know, like you say, like it's fun to get the VIP experience and drink beer off a bright tank and that's a memorable experience and that can't be taken away. Um, but then there's also all this subconscious stuff that like, if you walk in the back of a brew house, you see if it's clean. Yeah. You see what stickers they have up you see what kind of, you know, if there are there pink boots around there, um, are, are there stuffed animals? You know, you start to see inside of this and you start to humanize the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a really hard thing to do. Brand does a lot and you get to perceive a lot about a brewery through their brand and what they seem, what they find important. But then once you start to get inside and you start to talk to people, um, inevitably you're going to contextualize everything because their, their, their cards are going to show. You literally see them. You get to see everything. And, and I think cleanliness is a really good example. It's like, all right, yeah, this is really well organized back here. Um, and everyone, the employees, if they're working are smiling um and you know that's that's a really big context point uh, a touch point for you to understand that brewery so much better and so i mean drinking off a bright tank can't be beat to be like to get a memorable <laughs> cool experience it's still but, fun oh, yeah oh it's so fun i still like <laughs> it, you know i blush at it because i think it's just so fun and exciting um yeah but then all those other context clues about what this brewery can mean to you um which is also cool about what we're doing now is that all of our products um all the beer that we, sh- we share is in cans um, or bottles sometimes. And cans are so cool. You get to see yeah. so much about it. Like if you go to a beer bar, you know, you're drinking off the tap and you just get to read the label and, uh, or the name. That's as far as you get with the brand. Um, but with a can, you get to perceive a lot about what they find important. Um, you know, are they listing the style? Are they calling it a cold IPA? Are they explaining on the back what hops they use or what they mean by cold IPA? You know, do they have a freshness date on it? Is the art interesting? Is it bright? Is it dark? Is it good? Um, All these things are uh, immediately available to you, which uh, is so much fun to drink and, um, again, create context around the liquid. Yeah. Oh, no, completely agree. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, after a couple years of drinking beer exclusively out of cans, like, going and drinking beer off draft like it has like this allure to me that it didn't have it hasn't had in a long time but yeah you're completely right and i feel like a lot of bars these days especially the more craft focused ones like they're rotating beer so quickly they're not 
using branded tap handles. Like they are not able to do much more than like the name and style and the brewery name and maybe ABV. But um, yeah, the can does give you a ton of context. And um, yeah, I think the subconscious thing that you're talking about, walking in the brewery there, that happens on a can as well. You know, like Mm -hmm. all that type of stuff that you're taking in uh, ultimately helps you figure out like, is this a brand that I align with or that I feel connected to um, beyond just what's in the glass? Uh, that, that's interesting. That's an interesting concept that I think consumers don't think about inherently, but from a brewery owner perspective, like these are micro decision-making that you need to be thinking about. You can't mm-hmm. just slap a fun label on a can because it's trendy and put it out in the market and just let that carry the wave. Like there has to be so much more intention, I guess, like for someone that looks at a lot of cans, uh, you start to appreciate what oh, you see on them. Right. Now let's take a quick break to hear from some of our awesome sponsors. Thanks to our friends at Malibu Brewing Company for sponsoring Hopped. Haven't heard of them? That's because they're brand new and they just opened up their tap room at Tronca's Country Market in Malibu. We recently visited for their soft opening and man, was it awesome. The beers, the food, the vibes, the people, the weather, everything was just so on point. And for a new brewery, they've really come out of the gate swinging with an incredible lineup of very drinkable, approachable, and well-made beers. So my favorite beer is probably their their sand and sea Mexican lager. Actually, you know what? Maybe it's their first point American IPA. Yeah, I really like that beer. Hmm. Actually, I actually really dug their hazy double IPA with Phantasm too. I don't know. I, I can't choose just one. So just take my word for it. These guys are legit. So here's what you got to do. This weekend, Head out to Malibu and spend the afternoon tasting the beers and the food over at Malibu Brewing Company. I highly recommend it. If you're a beer brand and want to support the articles, the videos, the podcasts, and everything we do at Hopped, hit me up at gary at hopped.com and let's talk. We've got big plans and need all the support we can get. Okay, that's it. Back to my chat with Hal from Your Beer Friend. My entire understanding can just be summed up with, with Hetty Topper and like how yeah. they did it and in what way they did it, you know, and the immediate acclaim. I mean, obviously, the liquid can't be beat and the consistency can't be beat. And those two things are mountains that they've climbed and they have conquered, you know, deliciousness and consistency. But then third, and the thing that I think really catapulted it to the height that it was, was that it was always in a can. You never missed it, ever, ever. You always knew when people were drinking it. And I, 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 we sometimes talk about it as beer theater, you know, uh, blue moon is the same way, you know, right. you're like, if you're in an airport bar, you're like beer, 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 hold on. That beer has an orange slice. That looks good. I'll have that. And suddenly your decision is made for you just because someone went an extra effort to make you notice it. Yeah. Um, and that orange slice is, you know, it's a three day old orange slice that some bartender <laughs> just clipped but they put it on the beer and suddenly it's fresh. The beer's fresh and everything is lively around it. Same thing's true with Hetty Topper is that like, oh, there's something special about that. I'm, I should probably try it. 
Because even yeah. when you went to beer bars in Vermont, especially early on, they would still serve it in cans. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'd walk around and you'd see everyone else drinking pints, and you're like, why are these people drinking cans when there's like, you know, you can get beer on draft? Boom, because it's special. Yeah. It even says drink from the can on there. Right. Which is genius. It not only cover up it, its greatest flaw, which was that it was <laughs> ugly uh, when it first debuted. Right. You know? Covered up its greatest flaw, and it became its greatest marketing strength. So, in 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 one stroke, it like it maximized complete beer efficiency for for yeah. marketability. Yeah, it's genius. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Is, are there any uh, examples that you any cans or bottles or any uses of aesthetics um, that you've noticed over the years in more recent history that is like. I, I, I think this is interesting too. Or is it all, is there not much room to, to break out of the mold oh, these days? There's constant, still constantly stuff. I mean, one of the, the things that people try and do is like, uh, from a media perspective, you want people to touch your can. Because once, if you're at a liquor store, once they have a hand on it, the likelihood of them taking it away and taking it home is exponentially higher. So if you can create some sort of element that you want to reach out and touch that can, um, whether it's color or texture or like a wrap around the side that you kind of want to read if you're leading them around the side of the can. Um, that's all good stuff. Um, that's cool. If you're making, if you're making print small or big and small, um, all of that is leading people in. Um, so that's a really good one from a marketing position in, um, in, just in, in liquor stores and, and package stores. Um, right. So that's cool. I'm looking at the cans. Oh, here's a fun one. Give me two seconds. Yeah, yeah. So do you know, you know Moose Roll? Yes, I do. I haven't heard the name in a long time. Yeah, it's like an old man beer, right? Right. Like from Big Sky Brewing. Yeah. Um, it's a brown ale. It's a, it's a tasty beer. Um, you know, I think a lot of old men would describe it like, that's a tasty ale, um, Moose Drool. <laughs> um, and I, I'm sure they were trying to, to, to reach a, a new demographic. So they put it in this wild key lime colored can. Same, same branding. Yeah. You know, it looks like Big Buck Hunter. Um, but like they put it in this lime. And so suddenly you're like, the hell's that? <laughs> it looks hip and it's interesting. And then on yeah. the back, we make water fun. Oh, wow. I like that. So suddenly you have this very playful 5% brown ale from Montana. And I that's think cool. that's a really cool way to update the can. And like, you know, it still, it still has the old man branding. So like, you know, Uncle Ted isn't going to walk the other direction saying like, where's my moose? You know, right. he's still there. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good example. I think the polar opposite is how anchor steam rebranded their cans uh they didn't keep anything and it made, they made it look like hard lemonade with that blue and yellow mm-hmm. uh, mixture which i just think is it was the same concept they're trying to keep the brand moving towards younger drinkers yeah um keep it relevant you know if we're using kind of buzzwords but i think they lost what was so cool about it and and um i think it <laughs> it hurt people with anger <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there's a personal people have a personal attachment to to that brand at least here on the west coast mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um 
God, You're, we have- wh- when did you come to LA? You're not LA native, right? No, I mean, I moved, my family moved here when I was 12. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, I wasn't sure if you were kind of a transplant in your adult years. Yeah, no, I've been here since I was, I was born in Illinois in Champaign, right, right in the middle of the state where the University of Illinois is. And then at uh, some point, my dad said, um, I'm getting a job out west. And so all six kids of us hopped on a plane with my mom. Uh, my dad was already out here. Uh, just for a couple of days, he'd like already been working or something. It's not like he like moved out. Um, and uh, flew out here and, and settled in settled in Whittier, and then okay. uh, went to Loyola Marymount University, stayed stayed local, and then lived in Los Feliz, California for twelve years, thirteen years like that, and now we live in Long Beach. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I, I, for some reason, I thought you were, you know, after college came out to L.A. So. Um, yeah. So how did your, how did you latch on to craft here as it was coming up? Was there any kind of early spots, some of these early beer bars or how did you kind of get sucked in? The, the way that I've described it in the past is that like, I like, I like to drink. Um, (laughs) and beer is something that, you know, lower alcohol. Like if I get a gin and tonic, I'm going to drink it it just as fast as I drink beer. Um, but beer was also exciting and it was fun and like, you know, low risk. Like if I didn't like it, cool. I could, you know, get another one. Um, they're cheap and easy and fun. And I also was like coming of age and coming out of college right when all of the fun beer started happening. 2008, you know, in LA at least. Uh-huh. Um, Eagle Rock Brewery had just opened. I remember, I remember going to the old version of Angel City in downtown. Um, the one that was serving Firestone Walker kegs. As oh wow! They're in, as they're like, oh yeah, this is the Angel City Pale Ale, and then like if if you if you looked behind the counter, you'd see a keg of Firestone Walker Double Barrel Ale, because um, <laughs> they were just going to the liquor store and buying beer. This wow. was, I mean, it felt like the Wild West, um, yeah. and it was it was cool. And then then you know, Boston Beer Company came in and, and completely changed around what Angel City was. Um, Monkish had just opened, El Segundo had just opened, Smog City, um, was, was to open soon. Sunset Beer Company was like, God, I, I mentioned Henry and, and the Robs for like teaching me about beer, but dear Lord, did I learn about beer through Sunset Beer Company. Um, just going and talking to the bartenders about what's on tap, grabbing a bottle or gra- grabbing something on tap and then walking around and looking at all the bottles and cans. And interacting with them, like you said, like, you know, like reading and looking and then, you know, keeping my copy of Randy Mosher's tasting beer with me um, at all times to kind of create context about what the style is. Um, I've done a lot of work on styles, a lot of work like just internally to kind of yeah. help me understand my way through beer because that that's a really important one. I think if you're trying to form a, a foundation of, of beer education to really understand and then kind of create your own opinion about what styles are and should be. Cause there's no one way of, of learning it. You know, you can go BG, BJCP, you can go BA, you can go through Randy Mosher and his books. Um, another great one is um, Brewmaster's Table with Garrett Oliver to try and understand um, styles and historical examples of those styles and who's doing them well, who's still doing them well. And all of that kind of, um, I would go and drink inside the beer company with those books and then talk to people there and crack bottles. And this was like just a personal 
interest at this point? Or were you like, hey, I, I'm trying to develop an education so that I can create a career in this field somehow? I sold my car and I bought a bus. And the the process to open up the tour company took like nine months or so to get all the licensing down and everything in place. And because we have to go through like the California Public Utilities Commission and we have to, you know, paperwork, all that kind right. of stuff. So in that time, I sat down and be like, okay, hold on. I have a bus. My beer knowledge is like Chimay, Great White from Lost Coast. Um, God, what else did I like at that time? I was really like my two favorite beers when I first started drinking. Yeah. Then I found Manifesto. It was all this, it was all these wheat beers. It was my way, my way in. Huh. Um, and then I started liking IPAs. My, my brothers and, and my wife's brothers would take me to Beachwood in Seal Beach, the original um, pub location, and just mm-hmm. go and rip through IPAs and be like, all right, Razor 5, too bitter for me. Original Lagunitas IPA. Now we're talking. Yeah. Um, Stone, too bitter for me. Uh, fresh Sculpin, now we're talking. Yeah. Um, so trying to create an understanding of like, okay, I can do IPAs. I can't do all of them. And if they're fresher, they're better. And that was like my first core understanding of a beer style. Um, so this was kind of like happening at the same time as the, as the bus, uh, idea for the business. And then that business kind of like started going like, these are happening kind of hand in hand. You're like, I'm digging beer. I want to get more into beer. I'm buying this bus. I need to figure out a company to, you know, start a company to make it run. This is all like this yeah. sounds like a, a, like an amazing and hectic, but, uh, but just so cool of a, like a time period of your life. If you're thinking back, like, wow, I was just like going out to like four beer bars a week and two breweries. And I was just like immersing myself. Um, that sounds so cool. I'm kind of, I, I, I try and operate with the, the fail fast, uh, approach. So like, yeah, I'll buy the bus and I'll figure out beer by the time I, I do my first tasting, <laughs> um, which was like, I'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. and it worked, you know? Um, and I'll be honest, I wasn't the best at beer when I first started doing tours. Um, but I knew that and I was aware of that. And you know, when we do tastings and when we coach people, um, to do their own tastings or, or, or guides that we brought on to do tours. Um, I always led with honesty. Like you gotta, you can't lie to people about beer because you're going to get in trouble. The breweries are going to get in trouble because suddenly you're going to be telling something about a beer that's not true. And then there's going to be bad information floating around. So yeah, just don't go that direction. Worst case scenario, we've got computers in our pockets. So like Google it. And then suddenly you learn Everyone you're on a tour with learns and you have a good experience. Um, people are always super forgiving if you're honest about what you don't know. And that was one of our biggest, like, you know, tools as tour guides. It's like, I don't know. Let's, let's look it up. Or like, I don't know if that's true. You said something is true and I don't know if that's false. Let's look it up. And that way we can talk about it together and, and create an understanding. Um, which honestly are, are better you know, better experiences than just me telling someone something. It's like what, uh, you ever read the book, setting the table. It's a book no. about hospitality from a guy know. who started Shake Shack, Danny Meyer. He started okay. Shake Shack yeah. A bunch of great restaurants. So he's got this concept about hospitality that formed a lot of my understanding about not just how we run businesses, but like how I kind of operate in the world personally. Um, and one of them is that you can make a bigger fan 
through a mistake than you can um, by just doing things correctly the first time, which is a really funny thing. And it's really difficult to internalize because um, you have to swallow your pride. You have to understand that you made a mistake. And then you have to go way out of your way to correct the mistake and in an interesting enough way to make a bigger fan than you would have had before. Yeah. Um, the example that he gives is like he has a fine dining restaurant in New York City and someone had um, a beetle in their salad. And I mean, horrifying. They were a repeat <laughs> client, horrifying experience. This is the kind of thing that could shut a restaurant down. Like your whole heart and brain just go into your guts. So he came over to the table, apologized. Of course, the meal is comped because that's the baseline, right? You're covering that. And yeah. then he went out and he found like a first pressing of uh, the Beatles' White Album, bought it, sent it to them, and said like, we apologize, um, here's a better, better version of the Beatles, or whatever the phrase was. Oh, wow. And it was, yeah, it was super cute, and um, it might not have even been a first pressing, maybe it was just like a vinyl or something that was just cool, you know. The the, the story is not about the, you know, expense of that yeah. gift, right. but he went further, um, to continue the conversation and, and own up to the experience. So yeah. that's something that I really try and keep around for, for guys. Did I go off topic? No, no, no. As you were talking about it, cause I've gone through a number of virtual tastings with you and it's like, yeah, I, I, I there's been times where like someone will ask like some off the wall question um, that nobody would really have the answer to. And you're like, I don't know, but like, let's find out. I'm curious. I'm you're, you're like fueled by other people's curiosity. And you're like Googling and pulling up pictures. And you're like, that's really interesting. That's cool. And like now the entire tasting has this like little moment where we all just kind of like learn something really random and had this kind of experience versus I think people's um, perception of tastings guided tastings are like this top down experience that you're being told what is there. You're being told how to experience it. You're being told the questions to ask as you're experiencing it. And if there are anything that falls outside of that guideline, it's almost like you shouldn't think that way. Like let's get back to the task at hand. And um, that is a a somewhat limiting uh, approach to hospitality. And, you know, if you take the concept of hospitality and apply it to, you know, beer tastings or beverage tastings, any kind of tasting or experience. Uh, that's super cool. I really like, I like, th- I like that, uh, that happened with me in, in that tasting and I didn't realize it. And as you're explaining it, I'm like, shit, man, I, I experienced what you're talking about and I didn't even know it. And it was so cool. It was so fun. And it brought everyone closer together too. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the whole top down thing is just not fun. And like, it's not fun for me either. Yeah. Just sit and know everything. Um, because I don't, and yeah. I, I want to, you know, the strive is always there. Uh, and so, you know, and we learn something together. I think what you're talking we might, I know one of the examples that you were talking about was like the coasters that cause beer to, to like foam or something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 Right. And then it we was, bought one. Yeah. It was like a vibrating coaster, like had sonic waves or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You did buy one. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't work. I'm like, yeah, All right. hilarious. Yeah, you bought it on the yeah. call. You're like, okay, it'll be here in two days. <laughs> it's so fun. Like, I remember it. Like, I had a good time doing it. And that's just, and it's so much fun about beer. I mean, wine can be the same way and anything can be the same way, but beer is fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. it should be and it should be easy. And 
um, a lot of my job is just to get out of my own way and, and to ask people questions. And, you know, and that comes from understanding about tasting too. Like we've yeah. done sensory training where it's like, you know, indole is, is a flavor compound that can be found in beer once in a while. Some people register indole as smelling like jasmine, like, um, night jasmine, like it's very floral and very pretty. Um, and then other people register it as dog shit, like literally walking past oh, wow. like a hot, uh, dog park. Like it's that really <laughs> affronting, um, big, you know, dog feces thing. And that's biological man. Uh-huh. Can't change it. Right. Jasmine and just absolute dog poop. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and ever tell anybody what, what they're tasting is wrong. Because I don't know, maybe they just brush their teeth, and I don't know that, and so they're sure. like, "This tastes off. This tastes like some." Maybe they just had a big glass of orange juice that I didn't see off camera, um, and they're like, "This tastes off." I'm like, "Okay, you know, I can help you identify uh, what flavors are there, and I can try and help you through if the beer is actually bad, because that's always a big one." Yeah, there's something wrong with the package um, during canning or during production. Uh, but as far as that, like, let's talk about it. Let's get your perspective. And there's a lot of examples of that where people taste one. I mean, cilantro is the most obvious and, and big one. Right. People, people don't. Literally taste different to different people. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. So um, I'd love to taste through a beer. I know we don't have the same beers, but I'd yeah. love to kind of walk through sensory with you and just kind of like see how you run through it. Um, if you have a beer handy. Of course, if I have a beer hand. You want to be the fest beer? Uh, yeah, let's do a fest beer. It's kind of like the local gold standard, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, they do it genuinely. Um, they do it honestly. They, they care deeply about it. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Perfect. Um. So a lot of this conversation that we've been having is about context and about reading into things and mm-hmm. very little of it is about the liquid. Um, nice Stein. Right? Had to bust it out. Oh, you yeah. got one too. Perfect. Absolutely, man. I'm doing fest beer. I'm doing it in Stein. Um, so, I mean, the first way I taste beer is like I read the hell out of the label and I see right. what's going on with it. Um with Ennegrin, bless them, man. Like, Oktoberfest, Bavarian-style Marzen. Now, from, like, a pedantic uh, label, you know, way, that's perfect. You can't mm-hmm. give me any more. It's the most perfect way to describe this beer. It's Bavarian-style. So it's not from Bavaria, but this is in the style of Bavaria. I'm always a stickler for people throwing a style on things when it's not actually from the place that it's in. Right. I really like that context clue. Um, and I also like the kind of um, homage that it pays. It's like to respect a little. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's like a big, a big example is like Lambic, Lambic style. Yeah. You know, like we're not Lambic, we're doing it like doing it better than a lot of Lambic brewers maybe, but like Lambic style is, is a big one. Um, yeah. And then they also go further to say like, this is a Meritzen. Um And there, there are a couple, at least two different ways, distinct ways of interpreting Oktoberfest. Um, Meritzen and Weizen or Fest beer. Um, and so they, they say like, we're going the Meritzen route. Um, mm-hmm. so I love that. And then additionally, they give serving temp, which is awesome. They give pairing notes and they give a glassware. Oh, nice. Yeah. They have the independent craft seal, which, you know, I like to see, 
kind of hate the label. Um, an upside down beer to me always looks like you're drain pouring it. Yeah. Um, and I also just don't like the, the way that they've co-opted independent because you can have this on your, on your can and not actually have independence. You can be owned, um, mm-hmm. in whole or in part. Um, they have where it's from. Um, they have lager, they have IBUs, they have, so like, these are all context clues. So like, I'm not going into this blind, nor do I need to, I don't need to blind taste everything. So right. I can get a lot of context before I even go into it, um, to understand what I'm looking at. Yeah. Cheers. And that's, that's cool. I like that. And then the, I mean, obviously your, your beer there has kind of a darker appearance cause it's that Meritzen style, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, a bit of history about. Oktoberfest. So it started Please. in 1810. Um, it was a festival. It was this wedding, some royals, big party, lots of beer, lots of horse racing, um, two days of it. And they would have been drinking um, dark lager at the time, for the most part. Uh, and the kilning technology, the thing that made lagers dark, was like super crude up until like mid 1800s, give or take. And so the dark lager would have been chocolatey, roasty or even burnt because they didn't have the skill to do it to this beautiful amber color. Um, so beer was, there was a lot of burnt beer out there at the time. Um, move forward to the mid 1800s and that's when mares and comes around. And so everyone in Bavaria was like, hold on, your beer cannot taste burnt. It can taste like these beautiful, caramel and like deeply reactive um tastes where it's all of these mid-tones um and so people flipped out about martin and it became the official beer of oktoberfest um for the six official breweries that were were doing it at the time all all in munich um polliner hacker shore augustiner lowenbrau hofbrau and spaten so those are the six official ones and they were all making Versions of Meritzen and Meritzen is, uh, should be, you know, over 5% alcohol, probably 5.5 to 6%. It should be beautifully amber. Um, it should have high malt complexity. There should be a lot of interesting nuanced malt characteristics in there. It should be fairly dry and like super crushable. Like you want to drink this. This is a small Stein. Yeah. This is the <laughs> 16 ounces. <laughs> they do it in liters, man. So like you want to be able to drink a lot of this. Um, and relatively warm. So the serving temp for this beer is 48. Um, this came out of my fridge, which, is, which was at 38. Okay. Um, and that became, Marzen was like the official beer style up until 1970 when Polliner released the Fest beer, also known as the Weizen, um, which is not a Hefeweizen. It's different. It's just the Weizen, um, which is this, Silly thing. Um, it's a locals thing. They refer to the Oktoberfest as the meadow because that's where it takes place. It takes place in Teresa's meadow. And so Theresienweiss was the word for Teresa's meadow. And then the Germans, the locals are like, that's too long. We'll call it the Weizen. So mm. that became the beer style was Weizen. Um, and so that was Polliner and that was in 1970. And they built that beer to accommodate modern tastes. So they lightened it up a little bit, uh, left out some of the amber, and made it, well, it's still crushable, still very drinkable. Yeah, yours is more in that Wizen territory, a little bit more gold and a little less amber. Yeah, at 5%. 
Mm -hmm. And 5%. I think the, the polymer wise is 6%. Okay. Um, so it should still be high. I mean, that's one of the important marks of Oktoberfest is that you're slamming like 5.5 to 6% alcohol beer. Like yeah. there's a full third more or a half more than like Bud Lights and stuff. Like there's a significant amount of booze in there. Right. Um, and then that's, that's what they drink. Um, in Munich, a lot of them are those lighter gold ones. And it's mostly Americans who like really crave the amber ones. We're fall freaks in America. Right. We flip out over our like pumpkin spice lattes, not necessarily because everyone loves that flavor, but we're also sick of global warming and summer that like we just want it to be cool again. I want the mosquitoes to go away. I want it to like cool down and slow down. So like this is all a cue for us. It's also delicious. Yeah. Oh, damn, that's perfect, man. It's just so good. And you can tell it's perfect just by the way it looks. Like, it's got great head retention. Lacing's great on the side of it. It's got that beautiful, beautiful color and clarity. Like, God, I wish you could see how clear this beer is. Um, and the excellent carbonation rising up out of it. And then the drinking experience is, like, just can't be matched. It's one of my favorite. It is my favorite beer style, is Marison. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it just hits all the notes for me. It has the crushability of pilsners and lagers that I love. But it has complexity to stand up to bigger foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just that, that best of both worlds thing for me. Um, I don't miss the hops. Uh, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't miss the West Coast or, or New World hops from other beers. I just really like this grippy lager. This thing that you can sink your teeth into and drink a ton of. And it's so good with food, too. I don't think there's any beer that's more versatile for drinking and pairing. Really? Yeah, than Amerison. Yeah, I think it just goes really well both ways. Um, Saisons can do that, but they're not as drinkable. They're right. just not quite as drinkable. There's some are, but you know, across the board, Marsins are just so good. So I feel like with just really with like any lager, because of the drinkability, people just kind of tend to, um, or maybe they, it's more difficult to um, to analyze what you're tasting. Because you just kind of, it goes down so quickly that you're just like, this is crushable. I'm going to take another drink. And it just becomes like clean, crisp, crushable, and then you move on. Yeah. Is there, do you help people break down Meritzen in a way that like gets to specific tasting notes? Like how do you, what are you tasting as you drink that? And how do you help people get there? Yeah. I mean, like one of the fun things about this beer is that you don't have to break it down. You know, it's not, it's not difficult. This one's very approachable. Um, you don't have to sit and like ponder and be like, what am I drinking? Yeah. Um, I love those beers. Don't get me wrong. There's some great stuff coming out of the Pacific Northwest that continually like re- resets my like, what is what is beer um, brain? But the best way to get into the nuance and start to form um, an opinion about lagers is side-by-side tasting. It mm. can't be beat. If you want to try and understand Pilsners and what you like about Pilsners... Pour yourself a fresh local craft pilsner, something that you can find. Um, make sure it's fresh. Find a pilsner or kel, and then find like you know a shitty lager, like something. Pour yourself a Modelo or a Miller Lite or something, and mm-hmm. you will be astounded with how wildly different they all taste. Yeah. Um, do it. Do it with three beers. That's that's my favorite way of doing it. Um, 
And you can even do it subconsciously. You don't need to sit there and like focus too hard. It's not like a magic eye where you suddenly get to see, see any of these things. Just start drinking. And then you're going to start drinking the one that you like the most. And then the, whatever you finish first, it's like, oh, okay, well, I like that one the most. And then you can go into why. You can start to understand why you like that one more than the others. Yeah. Um, but it's fun to start creating um, comparison notes and understanding one Pilsner versus the next. If you could try and make sure they're on the same general ABV, but you know, that would be starting to get a little, little nuanced. Yeah. Cool. Good to know. Yeah. Last year we did an Oktoberfest tasting, like I think 12 or 13 different local, uh, you know, fest beers and, and some Mertens too. And mm-hmm. that was a, it was an educational experience for sure. Like, cause that's where you start to see, a little bit of the, oh, this one is a little nuttier. This mm-hmm. one kind of has a little bit more of like a metallic copper taste to it. Like there's just like different um, tasting notes that came out through that process that were really intriguing. And we're about to embark on this year's version. Cool. Um, and How many right now, I think we have about the same, like 12 or 13, something like that. Cool. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure out like how do I dissect these beers better because they're difficult to to dig into sometimes, especially because you know we're obviously filming videos and so you don't have like all of them and doing a tasting side by side. You're kind of doing one at a time, and mm-hmm. um, the the yeah, things you, you pull out of it, it can become very similar with this style. Absolutely, and doing it one at a time is next to impossible. Because you're going to start finding, for one thing, you're going to get fatigued, like super fast, especially if you're going over four. Um, So like, I I think a blind taste, we we did one a couple of years ago, it was a blind tasting. That was awesome. God, man, we did 20 something, I think. Um, We had a couple, we had a couple Germans in there and then we had a bunch of local examples um, and then a couple of like nationwide examples in the US. Um, And dear Lord. Was it apparent which one I liked the most? Um, it's so easy to pick through, yeah. and like you said, like you start getting into some nuanced characteristics of nuts and caramel and stuff. But when you do it blind and quick, you're like, oh, this one's too sweet, done. Um, yeah. This one, this one has booze, like it has like a nail polish, acetone kind of thing, uh, done out. Um, this one is really pleasantly dry, but it has no nuance. Like it's really, really simple, and like mm-hmm. boom, out. Um, then you start to hone in on the ones that like complex and rich and you start to see that like wow it's got a lot going on and you can see technique in there yeah those are really cool those are the ones that make it to the top top three are the ones that are like oh i'm going back there because there's no super outlying you know uh, know, uh, signal that that makes me say no right yeah that's interesting Mm -hmm. so so you did that uh i remember tuning in on instagram live back a couple years ago um that was awesome and so you talked about being open to what does the future hold for you guys does something like that like in person blind tasting is is that is there a market for that like i'm kind of like i'll be the first one to sign up but i might be one of five people (laughs) that do i don't know Dude, that would be so fun. Um, in, in my in my dream, I would have a beer bottle store with a classroom setting attached to it. Yeah. I want to be a beer professor. I want to like drink beer with people and help them understand more about this stuff. Um, and truly like a classroom setting. Like really very much um, 
with circular tables that you could that you could commune and or stadium you know seating with with taps <laughs> on them. <laughs> um, and that would be great because I think blind tasting is a really really cool thing that people don't often get access to. It's difficult to set up. You have to like yeah. really coordinate a blind tasting. You have to have at least one person who's who's not doing it or who's yeah. setting it up. And then you got to go through it and you know you should do it with no less than like 10 beers because you're going to go through them. Yeah. Um and the but the fun thing about blind tasting is that you, you don't have to pour over it. It's it's a much more of a quick quick draw for it yeah um, so yeah if you know anybody who wants to invest in a, a beer shop and we have see we have plenty of beer shops in long beach like i don't want to be another plus one for to sell beer down here uh, right. our warehouse is right by wine country and like mm, yeah incredible beer program mm-hmm. absolutely incredible they store it well they serve it well they 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 sell it well um they have access to, to all the world's best stuff uh what do i have to say <laughs> you got nothing more to say beyond what wine country can do um right. and then we have excellent breweries down here too that i don't want to do that oh there's another great shop down the road from me where i live called roadrunner um it's also doing great work for beer um, oh i haven't heard of them yeah really small um you know it's in a little strip mall and excellent beer program um they're doing on-site tastings and they also have wine and spirits as well but like yeah great beer Oh, sweet. So, I got to check them out. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, so you, you were talking a little earlier about um, BJCP. Uh, you had gone through the Cicerone program uh, back in the day, you know, tasting beer. There's, there's different methods. Uh, and I think typically kind of like Cicerone and BJCP are kind of the two mainstream like ways you can go down and kind of l- deepening your your beer sensory analysis experience. Um mm-hmm. So how how do you think about those two programs? How do they compare? Like, when do you kind of recommend someone, say, to go down one path or the other? I mean, I couldn't recommend Cicerone highly enough. Yeah. Uh, the study is fun. You know, like, for me, there is, well, there is a, a, a kind of a year's worth of just personal exploration in beer. And then there was like three months of study and one month of, of like intensive study for Cicerone. Uh, and that prepared me and I passed it on my first try. Um, and then we've had employees and my wife took it about a year after I did. And they all did the same thing where it was, you know, it was some self-guided stuff. And then it was a couple months of like I'm getting into it. And then it was like one month of, of really sitting down. But the greatest thing about Cicerone, well, there's a lot of great things about it. But one thing that is the breadth of information that they give you, have to, you learn about draft line maintenance and creation. You learn about history. You learn about pouring. You learn about food pairings. You learn about um, packaging and production techniques. Like literally everything that beer touches, Cicerone covers. Yeah. I think that's incredible. I, th- I just think it's a really, really cool way to look at beer. Um, and that's how I look at beer in general is I look at it very holistically as like, what do I like about the beer industry? And so, like, you know, I've taken the Cicerone kind of structure of, like, let's look at all elements of it um, and let's expand that even further. To like, you know, look at a brewery. Are they doing good things? You know, is the ownership good? Is the brand good? Is there historical context? You know, why does this brewery exist? Mm-hmm. And trying to create an opinion about beer that is much, much wider than the liquid itself. Um, BJCP is is un, unmatched in its in its 
ability to to judge liquid and like understand um, the brass tacks about how beer tastes the way it does and why it tastes it does and very very strict presentation and, and drinking thing. Um, so if you're looking at sensory, go do BJCP, study it and get into it, and you'll become a really good beer judge. If you're looking at something that is a, a kind of a bigger world, uh, a wider net for beer information, um, do Cicerone. And I recommend it for people who are in the industry and people who are outside the industry. If you're just curious, it's fun. You're, yeah. It's a beer test, you yeah. know, it's, it, get into it and have some fun. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a really fun exam. Um, hard, it was difficult, but you can pass it. Definitely passable. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely fun. I re, I remember training and going through the early parts of training for that exam, not ever going through it. And the materials that I was using were great guidance in terms of context. Like, yeah, you have like global context in terms of the liquid you're drinking, the brew, the the brands you're interacting with, and um. Yeah, how it's being served to you. I think that that part's really cool. Uh, something you've mentioned a couple of times is like beer and food pairings. And I am like oh, yeah. such a big proponent of beer and food pairings. I think it takes a, a liquid that I love so much and it makes me love it even more and appreciate it even more. And it transforms it into something that uh, typically I like even more, sometimes not, but mostly yes. Uh, mm-hmm. How... There's not a lot of this going on right now. Like beer and food pairings, I feel like uh, a little while ago, like there, some restaurants were catching on and there were breweries doing beer and food pairing dinners. And like I saw this more happening more five, seven years ago. And like I'm not seeing it much now. Uh, do you have any indications of why and any thoughts on like, do you have any plans to do more of that? Like I, I feel like that's in your wheelhouse to like, Crack I wish that we nut. could, man. They're so, they're so fun, right? Yeah, they're so fun. Like, it really changes everything, but it only does it. My, the analogy that I've used before is that, like, 80% of food pairings with beer are kind of nonsense. Like, you know, they, it's like beer and pizza. Cool, yeah. man. Right. That's great. Beer and sausages. Awesome. Um, and then you start, to, and, and it's, it's a continuum, right? So, like, 80% are, like, pretty cool or like maybe doesn't work a little bit um but you're not in any kind of like wow or error zone yet and then there's 10 percent on both sides that are like holy shit and like holy shit what happened um and those are the things that you need to build pairings like a pairing thing around one of my favorite examples is west coast ipa with carrot cake Mm. that's a holy shit pairing that's Mm. something that absolutely changes your perspective of both of those things um, and it's so fun to do and it, it really is, it's unsuspecting, you know, it's like, wait, what? Um, but it really, it makes the beer taste less bitter. It makes the carrot t- cake t- taste less sweet. And suddenly you have this bitter, sweet, um, you taste like the natural sweetness of carrots that comes out a little bit stronger. And then you get the fruit of whatever West Coast IPA you're drinking. It should be West Coast. We're not talking, um, New Zealand, Australia, and we're not talking hazy. This is right. like, you know, grapefruit, citrus. Like classic West Coast, like swamis or something like that. Swamis and carrot cake. Man, you've got a dessert that like a lot of people will really love. I'm um, salivating. <laughs> it's so good. 
and it, it continually stuns people. And I, I, when, I don't like bitter beers. Um, I will out myself as like, I just, I don't like them. Um, it's, it's a flavor profile that just makes me start to get hot and like uncomfortable and too acrid for me. Uh, but when I pair them with sweets, uh, cookies or whatever I have around, um, we do a waffle a lot of times that we keep around from, uh, it's a Belgian waffle from this company called JK. That's a fun one to throw at beer cause it's not overly sweet. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a really fun one. Um, and there's a lot, of, I mean, like I said before, Brewmaster's Table from Garrett Oliver will give some really great healthy cues. Oh, another really good one that people don't often do is uh, stout or porter with uh, pasta. Interesting. With, with red sauce. Yeah, red sauce for me is always a really difficult one to pair with beer because it's acidic. Um, and you don't really want to pair it with other acidity because it can kind of explode. And suddenly it just, it's all you taste is this, is huh. this acidity. Um, and so when you do it with a stout or porter, something that has like a rich baseline, then, oh man, it's so, but it's not a sexy pairing. It's not something that's fun. You want red wine. You maybe you want to Saison because that's more elegant. You can put it in a wine glass with pasta. Right. Um, but dude, yeah. Interesting. Porter and pasta. Yeah. It's really fun, but it's a very technical pairing. It's a, it's a pairing that works, um, like math where it's just like literally these things just taste good together. But right. from a from a story perspective, it's like. Well, I feel yeah. like with beer and food pairings, like kind of like we were talking about with language, uh, sensory language, you kind of have to have like a couple home runs that are easy for people to grab onto, and then like sprinkling in these kind of like mathematic uh, pairings where it's like, hey, I'm gonna blow your mind for a second, and and maybe you won't get there initially, but let me like really kind of talk you through like why this is happening and maybe you can get there and maybe you can't. But, um, yeah, I feel like beer and food parents, like if it's all out there, I'm kind of, I get lost in like, by the end of it, I'm like, I get what you're doing here and I appreciate you taking me along for the ride, but I was catching up the whole time and I'm not sure I ever got there. So I feel (laughs) like you have that balance of like, yeah, here's a couple home runs. Like, let me get you in the door and like, you know, the easy stuff pairing can be, and this is how you think about it. Like, We've done uh, beer and cheese pairing events with Alex Uriff, who um, is with Celador now and used to run mm-hmm. and still kind of does. He still dabbles in cheese with uh, Vagabond Cheese Company. And it is exhausting preparing those events because you have to put the work in. You have to go yeah. find which ones work together because you can right. do it on paper all day. You're like, oh, yeah, um, you know, double IPA with, with uh, blue cheese. It'll work. But then you go and you're like, oh doesn't really taste like anything. I don't really get much or like, right. Oh no, that's the wrong thing. Even though on paper it's, it's really great. And so I think a lot of beer pairing dinners fall into the trap of like, they only have so many beers and the restaurant only does certain types of food. So yeah. you're really limited to like what's going on there. Yeah. So the fun ones in my opinion are like shopping for small items and then throwing them at beer specifically. Mm. Um, not dishes. Dishes are too complex. Right. You know, if you want to find out what beer pairs with pizza, just eat the toppings with your beer uh-huh. and you'll find out because that's kind of what's doing a lot of the work there. Um, right. And there's also rules that you should know and follow, you know, uh, bitterness compounds heat. That's a big one. Like it's going to taste more bitter and more spicy. Um, maltiness dulls heat. Um, carbonation has a scrubbing effect. So like greasy or spicier food. 
big carb effervescent beers will like climb the palate. So like a really greasy fried chicken, throw a saison at it, and you're like, baby, that's what's going there. Now, from a from like a technical perspective of like expanding on the flavors of both of those, I don't know what will happen depending right. upon what saison and what fried chicken. But from a technical perspective, the the effervescence will clear your palate in a really right. nice way. Yeah, as you're talking through this, I'm like remembering, I think what might have been the last time I saw you before the pandemic was uh, a Cicerone beer and pizza pairing at Slice and Pint back for LA Beer Week 2019, I think it was. Um, And that was really cool. I don't remember the exact pairings, but like you, Tom, a couple other Cicerones put together Uh, some really cool stuff. From Smog City was there pairing. Um, I think it was Greg from oh yeah uh, greg yeah yeah he was that's there. awesome and if I, memory serves my pairing was the the winner um at least it was the most ordered how about that it was fami or famille from celador which is their low abv lightly tart oat saison um with god i wish i knew i wish i remember what pizza it was i know the beer yeah. Yeah, I don't remember at all, but oh, it's uh, such a good I remember it being such a cool experience. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Pizza is a really good way to start understanding pairings because you can throw different toppings at it. Base level yeah. is always the same, um, but the toppings, you get to start perceiving things. And there's different yeah. things. Like you mentioned it, like, you know, mathematical pairings, porter and pasta. Then there's store, story pairings, you know, like um, coffee porter and breakfast pizza. It's a cool story pairing. It's like breakfast mm-hmm. for dinner. I'm like having coffee, mm-hmm. beer, and I'm doing breakfast pizza. Now, does it work from like a technical perspective? doesn't really matter. Like you're drinking coffee, beer, and you're eating a pizza with an egg and bacon on it. Like it's cool as hell. Um, there's like location pairings. You know, what grows together goes together. So it's like, you know, German beer, German sausage. Or yeah. like specifically like Kolsch with like some sausage that's from Cologne. Um Something like you can get really granular with that kind of stuff. Um, Man, I I love beer and food pairing so much. Like just the simplicity, the complexity. There's such a a wide range you can go with it. Um, Yeah, my my purpose of asking you was that there would be some solution. Uh, Oh, this restaurant's doing (laughs) a, a great program or we're thinking about doing something. But like ultimately, it sounds like. Uh, this is a personal exploration that you just have to go down that road. Um, it sounds like you guys do a certain degree of it in, um, your beer box. Is it the beer? Is it the subscription box that you guys do that in? Yeah. With the virtual tastings. Yeah. We have something spicy, something sweet, something umami. And then, um, what's the other option? Yeah. Those are kind of the, the bases that we cover. So you can understand like, all right, you know, what is jerky? do for beer and how right. can create umami food pairing. That's um, cool. What a sweetness for beer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, we do, we do a chocolate and beer tasting that is wild. <laughs> it's such a weird one. Cause on, on paper, chocolate just does not pair well with beer. Really? Um, oh, it's, it doesn't really work. Um, and oftentimes it doesn't work because you're trying to pair chocolate with dark beers because that's the, right. the romantic, you know, you're like, Oh yeah. A stout and some chocolate. But what they end up doing is they end up canceling each other out. And then you're left with like the remainders, which is like uh, just elements that are kind of out of sync. Uh So pairing beer with chocolate that's not stout and porter is very fun and can be really, really like 
Um, the company that we work with is called Ann Sons. They're out of Beverly Hills. Look them up. They're beautiful chocolates. They are exceptional to taste. And they're like the nicest company on earth. They couldn't be cooler and they couldn't be doing a better job. Um, and we email back and forth whenever we're doing a chocolate and beer pairing about like, all right, what are we doing? What flavors are we looking for? What experience are we looking for? Um, and then we'll get them in house here and we'll try them and then we'll edit if we need to. Um, and then we'll send them out. But like doing like a hazy IPA with like a coconut rum chocolate. Wow. It's like so fun. Wow. You get all these pineapple and like citrus characters from the beer. And then you get this coconut and rum character from the chocolate. Um, and you got this whole kind of explosion thing that, go, that goes on. Um, and that's like a really fun contrast pairing. So that I'm, I'm trying to like, uh, bring this back to a, a little bit of a plug for what you guys do. Um, like, let me make this a little more clear for me. So you guys have, um, the kind of corporate tasting thing that is mm-hmm. like private tastings with, with larger groups. Um, you have the subscription box that is a curated mm-hmm. box that gets sent out. Then you have these kind of one-off specialty pairings like the chocolate and beer pairing. That's a separate thing or is that part of the subscription? Like how how would I get involved? Yeah. I wish I could be explaining it better um, <laughs> than, than, than that. But that's, that's kind of what it is. Like okay. the majority of our business right now and the thing that keeps us busy is private virtual beer tastings. Groups of and like 20 to all- 40 or something? Yeah, the minimum's ten usually. Okay. Um, we'll do them for less, you know, if people are like, we re- we only have eight people, and we really want to drink with you. I'm like, cool, <laughs> let's drink. Um, yeah. But usually around ten. Um, any any less than that, it just gets quiet on a Zoom. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah. And those are those are very seasonal. So like right now, as of like today, we're getting into uh, Oktoberfest tastings. So nice. we'll send out an Oktoberfest kit. And the beers that we include even vary within there. You know, we're still sourcing beer from all over the place with stuff that we like to drink and stuff that we can find and stuff that's fresh and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll send them out and we'll jump on a Zoom and, and do this. You know, it's a yeah. small portion of tasting notes. And then it's a lot about everything else. It's, right. Why do we drink out of a stein? It's, what is a food pairing? It's like, why do I think you probably shouldn't freeze your beer glass? Um <laughs> why is Guinness so heavy? It's not. And here's why. Um, right. And then asking folks, you know, uh, why they drink and what they like and what they do. Mm-hmm. A lot of people you know, just want to talk about beer, which is what I want to do. So I want yeah. to give them the same opportunity that I get to do, yeah. um, which is, which is so fun to talk and drink about beer, drink and talk about beer. Um, <laughs> so that's the majority of what we do is that we it goes seasonally you know, after Oktoberfest, we're doing like two weeks of Halloween tastings. Oh, so cool. it's Halloween beers with um, Halloween candy pairings. It's going to be weird. It's going to be really fun. Uh, and we're going to source beers like, well, I know it was available last year. You know, like Allagash made a haunted house beer that was a dark uh, hoppy ale, hmm. which was really good and really fun to pair with sweets. Um, Evil Dead Red from Alesmith. Alvarado Street did like a spooky beer. Um, Rogue Dead Guy Ale is always a fun one for Halloween. Stone, RIP, you know, they do their Enjoy Buy, uh, yeah. which is a fun one to pair uh, with dark chocolate. Uh, so yeah, Halloween, then we'll get into to holiday beers as well. So these all these seasonal stuff, the, the beer and chocolate one typically comes out in February. Okay. 
So these are all kind of like the private um, tastings that you guys do. And then for kind of the public, the one off like household uh, or if like them and like their friend or brother-in-law or whatever wants to do something, they you have the subscription box and that yeah. comes with like that. Does that come with uh, a tasting session as well or is it just the beers? Yeah. So we think about it as a beer club. You know, we, yeah. we have a virtual tasting each month where it's the same people. Usually, you know, obviously there's there's shifts where some people are like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm got to quit the club. I got to shed a few pounds or whatever. Or right. like, you know, we're having a baby and I'm not going to drink as much. And then, or, oh, yeah, my baby's old now, so I'm going to drink more. And they come right. Back in. <laughs> um, so it's a beer club. We, we meet once a month online and we'll drink yeah. through uh, some or all of the beers. I usually end up drinking through all of them. And I've learned how to cope with that the day afterwards. <laughs> and uh, those boxes change, you know, super seasonally, uh, where it's just, uh, we just find, again, we find the six best beers or whatever's going on that month. You know, we'll highlight like International Women's Day in March and like drink through a bunch of um, female-owned breweries. Uh, this month was obviously Oktoberfest and some fall beers that we're getting into or end of summer beers. Next month is starting to get into fall stuff. Nice. Um, and it, it's, you know, you don't have to sign up for any longer than a month. You can just jump on and then jump into the virtual tasting once. Oh, cool. And it's fun. I, the thing I like most about it is that it's a club. So you end up yeah. drinking with the same people and finding people to talk to about beer and and creating an understanding about what this beverage can mean to different people. Yeah. That's, That's my favorite part. It's connecting with people. And it's like going to a tap room. It's like, you yeah. know... It, you know, you go and you hang out and you see the same people and you get to check in. And uh, we've seen a lot of people like make real genuine friends out of the, the virtual beer club, which, you know, I, fr- I, fr- I so deeply frowned upon virtual when it first came out. Um, and then I understand that it's a, it's a great format for some people mm-hmm. to be comfortable or at home. Like we have a kid now, you have a kid now. Yeah. And a hell of a lot of times it's like, oh, I don't have to drive anywhere. I'm going to save myself a couple <laughs> hours. Um, and I get to interact and real and see faces and see facial expressions and see how people react to things in real time. Um, that you can do that online, and I believe that now. I did not before. I really didn't. Yeah, I, I definitely connect with it now. Um, it's and then my context is from drinking alone for so long. I'm just done. Like it kind of, <laughs> it kind of, honestly, it kind of ruined beer in a way for me because I was doing it by myself for so long that it was like, I don't want to do this by myself anymore. Like I do it for work. And then I, the rare times that I like want to enjoy a beer, I don't want to do it alone. I need to do it out somewhere. And like you said, getting out somewhere is not easy to do these days. So I, uh, yeah, it sounds like I might need to pick up on this, on the, uh, on the beer club because it sounds like it's right up my alley. Yeah. yeah. We'll send you a box. You can jump um, in next month. So anyone that does outside of that. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Well, when I look back on my beer history, you know, there are a couple beers that I think of like just the liquid, like my God, it's like just changed my life. Um, But more often than not, it's like, man, I drank my first spontan sea buckthorn with my wife um, in 2013 in San Francisco at the Mickler bar. And that was the first sour that like, absolutely knocked me off my socks. 
but it was the liquid in a place with a person and we're talking and we're drinking and like they, they you know, so again, it's, it's, this whole conversation is about a bit about context and how beer, yeah. beer history is all about those things with people and places. Yeah. So we've been able to take that and go virtual and still connect with people about, um, with beer and, and understand how it, how it hits us differently with people. Yeah. No, I think that's super important. Right, what were you going to um, say? Well, I was going to ask you any other, um, Things like the way that I tasted with you previously was through a beer school series that you were doing. Is that still something that goes on occasionally or are there other like one off like, hey, Oktoberfest tasting? I just want to do an Oktoberfest tasting with you. Do you do like do I just jump into the club for that month or like is there a separate thing that happens? That's kind of what we wanted to happen was to just jump into the club for a month. Um but it's not really working out that way. People are, uh, they want this specific event. You know, they, they want to jump in and do that. So we're, we're looking at ways to like, hey, here's the Oktoberfest tasting. You know, sign up by this date, you'll get a beer kit and you can come join it. Um, right. Sign up this date, we'll do a Halloween tasting, sign up by this date. So we're figuring that part out. Okay, it's just, cool. Logistically, it's really difficult. Yeah. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to accomplish. And God, do I miss virtual beer school. That yeah, was so that fun. was cool. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was really a neat way to kind of expand about beer and and hone in on some very very you know granular beer subjects. Um, we did a whole. You were there for the Pilsner tasting, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. So like that was one example of like you know just just focusing in on on Pilsner specifically and talking about it and doing a deep dive. Um, and I, yeah, I, I loved beer, virtual beer school. It was really fun. So yeah, we're, we're looking at bringing that back as well. Um, awesome. Life is life. Life is hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not any specific reason. It's just that like we've got kids. Um, yeah, yeah. We've got a life to keep up um, and a business to keep up that's our own. And mm-hmm. we love keeping our business small because it connects us to our employees and we can pay everyone well and we can really get on with them and let them have their life too. I'm not a big business guy. I just can't, I can't do it. So uh, all these expansion plans are always in conversation with my uh, desire to keep things small and intimate and and, Mm -hmm. um, at a pace that makes everyone feel comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. makes sense. Cool. Um, so we're coming up against it. I got a couple things. I I feel like I could talk to you all afternoon. Um, but I want to respect your time here. It's been a while. Um, couple things. So first one, uh, you mentioned the time drinking your first sour beer up at, uh, in San Francisco. Um, maybe that this is it, but what was your, what's been your best all time best beer experience? That's impossible, man. There's just no, I mean, that one's a really good one. It wasn't my first sour beer. My first sour beer was Duchess. Uh, my brother bought it for me. Uh, it was a, one of those. It was one of those cool nights that just happened. You know, there was no plan. It wasn't like on the books for like we're gonna drink beer tonight. It was just like he uh-huh. came over. We walked down to um, Cap and Cork in Las Feliz, and he's like, "Yeah, you should try this." And then we drank it, and it's like it was so relaxed and fun and cool. And, and Duchess was like, "Holy crap! The hell's that?" Why is that so weird? Um, and then you keep drinking it and you're like, oh, it tastes like salad dressing. And they're like, oh, wait, it tastes really good. And like, oh, wait, it tastes like cherries. Oh, wait, it tastes like something else. And then, and yeah, it unfolded on the night, which was really neat. 
And then Spontane Seabuckthorn was a good one. We actually got a Keith Shore print. I got it for my wife for our whatever anniversary that was paper. I think it was like one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a Keith Shore print nice. um, of Spontane Seabuckthorn. So we have it framed in, in our home. You can't miss it. We're total beer people. We have framed beer labels. <laughs> um, it's huge, too. Um, going to Plan B Brewery in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, the same day that I went to Suarez, uh, that was a really cool one. It was very small, you know, it was a very small memory. It was me and a buddy of mine. Uh, we were just kind of traveling through the Hudson river Valley and I had heard about this place plan B and I didn't really know what, what to think of it. And, uh, I went on my Google maps and it drove us up a literally a dirt road and, and we're driving past cows that were untethered. And we're like, where are we going? And then we wind up on this place and um, it's very small. It's very intimate and, and amazing, amazing beers uh, that could be made in no other place than that. It was just, you had an entire sense of place driving there, drinking there, walking around this farmhouse. That was awesome. Um, and I've had that experience with a number of places. You know, a Hill Farmstead was like that dirt road up there. Um Driving around Maine and drinking at different places and, and enjoying and the sights of Maine and seeing what Maine Beer Company is like and how it's so Maine, but it's also like so Japanese and it's also so craft beer and it's also so huh. forward thinking with how like solar powered it is and they treat their employees well and it's so cool. So, I mean, God, I've had so many formative beer experiences going into Jester King in Austin, uh-huh. out of Austin and just seeing that there are 160 acres and it's, you know, so mellow and so, and I consider it world-class beer and it's just out there in hill country and there's deer walking around and you get drunk and then you go home and like, <laughs> that was weird. That was like, that changed my life. And yet it was just kind of a couple beers out in, out in Texas. Um, and that was really fun. Uh, going around Chicago, there was a place called Longman and Eagle. Uh, it's a Michelin starred dive bar. That you can that has like four or five rooms upstairs. So Cindy and I, my wife, we we rented a room upstairs, had dinner downstairs, and drank beer and drank whiskey. And they're like, "All right, time to go to bed." We went back upstairs, and we could hear the bar through the floor. It was like Whitney Houston just rocking. It was like I don't know. It was like you know twelve thirty or something. I was drunk. We're like, well, I guess we're going back downstairs. And we go back downstairs, <laughs> and drink more great beer, and talk to more Chicagoans and. Um, yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah. It just, just beer experience on beer experience. It's, it's become a way to see the world. You know, I'm sure you know that. And I'm sure you feel the same way that when you travel, you go to breweries or you meet beer people and they tell you things and you see things and you understand things. It's like people who visit, you know, major league ballparks around the country. Mm-hmm. They love baseball. I'm sure. Um, but it's also a way to go see the country. It's like, oh yeah, we gotta go to uh, check out Wrigley. We gotta go to Chicago. We haven't been to Chicago yet. So you go to Chicago and you get to eat Chicago hot dogs and you get to walk around and see what Wrigley's like. That might not even be a game on. It doesn't really matter. It gets you there and it gets you context for what it means to live on earth uh, in one way or another. I think everyone should have something that they view the world through and, and get good at. Um, and enjoy it more or less. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's kind of inspiring to hear you talk about all this. Cause like, this is a question that I couldn't easily answer. So the fact that I gave it to you, I was kind of screwing with you a little bit, but like you gave me this answer that was like, I don't know. I don't think I could like it would, I would be fumbling and I wouldn't be able to walk me, but it's honestly, it's inspiring to like, I feel like I'm kind of looking for peaks uh, and like moments and uh imprints and you're kind of like hey man th- i'm just living my life and i'm enjoying it through the lens of like what i fu- what i'm passionate about and all of them are amazing and i can find the beauty in all of them um some of them are m- maybe more highlight than others but like they're all kind of like at the high end of of where i want to be living and man i think anybody that hears that can be like that's that's an inspirational way to if if not live, then actually, then think about the way you're living your life. So I appreciate that. That's my takeaway off of it. <laughs> Great, man. If that's something, and that's all in there. I also remember bad beer, you know, right. Plenty of bad. We were, we were trapped. My wife and I were in an RV with our dog going through Northern California. And I had some work to do. So like we wanted to go into a city and like find a brewery. So like we found this new brewery outside of Northern, North of San Francisco in Marin. I'm like, well, let's go check it out. And all their beers tasted like butter, and they were all kind of off style. And I'm like, yep, this is a new brewery. This is like <laughs> somebody's homebrew experiment scaled up, or they brought some brewer in from somebody else who didn't really know the equipment or the timeline and forced them through. And we sat and we drank bad beer, and I emailed, and we hung out with some of the locals and talked about their brand and what was going on, and had a great time. <laughs> I won't ask out what brewery it was. I hope their beer got better. I trust that it did. They were nice and thoughtful, so I imagine that their beer got better. And that was my hope for them while I was sitting there drinking a really bad black lager. <laughs> Just let's hope, let's truly hope so. horrible. <laughs> um, so my last question is kind of is falls in, in this in the same vein. Uh, I have to circle back to your comment earlier about online. Beer reviews are killing beer. Uh, <laughs> I, I need to. I can't. I can't go without like circling back to this. Like, what do you, I want to know your thoughts on Untapped? Uh, and I, you don't need to be super. You know, we don't need to get too deep into it. But like, how? What? I'll expand on this. Bus, yeah. I have no problem with it. Here's cool. the thing. Um, and people ask me like, "Are you on Untapped? How do you remember all these beers?" And that's the clutch is that people want to remember their beers. Yeah. Internet culture and ratings culture has forced them to give them a a scale of of one to five for these things that they might not be prepared to rate or might not need to rate. Like, why? You know? Uh, There's just not a need in the world to apply a one out of five rating system to these beers to remember them. Early on in my beer career, I started deciding that, like, I didn't want to write down. I didn't want to go on unapped, uh, untapped because I knew I wouldn't. I knew I wouldn't do it appropriately, or I'd be stuck on my phone always doing it. Right. And so I decided to remember what beers I liked and what beers I didn't. And you asked me that question about like what beers and what beer experiences have you had? I could go on for so much longer about my favorite beer experiences. I could. I could just keep talking because yeah. I, I decided to remember them. I made a conscious decision that I'm going to decide what beers I love and remember. And then I did. And it was that easy for me. Um, Now it's maybe, you know, 
it, we live in a world where you have to remember a lot of things. So having a, a tool to remember what beers you want to is really nice. But I disagree with forcing breweries to try and chase untapped ratings. Because if you go look up Oktoberfest beers, Marzins or Fest beers, you're not going to find one that's rated over four. It's the nature of the style. And that's not fair. Mm-hmm. If you're going to look up Porter, period, you're not going to find one that's rated over 3.8. It's the nature of the style, and that's not fair. There are beautiful porters out there. Deschutes, Black Butte Porter, if you drink that thing fresh, dear, it's, it's absolutely perfect. It's just brilliant. It's a five-star. But no one's going to give it a five-star, except for me. <laughs> that's, that's too bad. And the reason it's too bad is that it stops consumers from drinking them on one hand. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, it forces breweries to continually make beers that are five-star ratings because people will look them up and then go buy them. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate because there are some beers like um, Omnipolo, for example, and they've built their brewery around creating beers that will be open to being ranked five stars. Mm-hmm. And they do an excellent job of it. They make five-star beer. They really do. They make an incredible, incredible selection of beer. Tool is also another good example of a similar brand that does the same thing and they make beers that are built for the rating system but for, for the poor brewery in el paso who's just opening up and trying to find some way to let people know their beer is good the only way to make it is at least with that rubric if you're if you're judging it is to make beers that are open to being rated five stars otherwise all of your beers are going to be rated 3.5 or lower Right. And that's not fair. It's just not healthy. It's not healthy for the drinker. It's not healthy for the producer. Yeah. And so you find yourselves with with all of these sub four star beers that are five stars, if you're judging them appropriately, I think. Right. I think I mentioned right. earlier that, you know, I try <laughs> I try to splash a Kolsch, I gave it two stars. I don't like Kolsch. That's, right. <laughs> and that's not uncommon. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So what's yeah. what is there an answer to this? Do you have any thoughts on like how do we help combat this kind of industry wide of people that ha- I think really relate to the sentiment that you're expressing? Is there a way against this? Or are we just like caught up in a wave that like cannot be stopped? Yeah, man. I, I, I well, honestly, I think it's a problem with all online reviews. Yeah, um, I just don't think they're a healthy way to judge anything. They can be gamed. Right. They can be broken. Um, and they skew in favor of very particular things. Right, right. So, and I think that's true across the board for online reviews in general. So, no, we can't fix it until the entire internet comes around and says, like, online reviews are killing experiences right. um, before they even happen. Um, because what we need to go back to is is person-to-person context and understanding and discussion and drinking and being okay with not liking things and pouring things on the drain. That's yeah. the alternative. Oh, I don't like that. Okay. <laughs> because the best breweries will always win out by word of mouth. It'll always yeah. happen. Always. Ten times out of ten. If you are good at what you do, you will win. And win being you keep, you get to keep doing what you do and do it right. well. Right. And that's the reward for being good at what you do. Um, is that you get to keep doing it. And sometimes, you know, that's a more of a curse than it is than anything else. But, yeah, and I guess but, you can look at untapped as being 
a form of word of mouth. But what you're talking about is like unstructured word of mouth where it's like, I'm just narrating to a friend that I believe this brewery is good for these reasons versus untapped saying you have to fit within this star system. And this star system indicates certain things that may or may not be explicit about the beer. Like there's no, nothing that says about the star system that this needs to be true to style. Like, right. It's like, it could be true to style or it could be not. And people can rate it whatever they want. So there's no or like guidelines. Even know to what it. the hell you're talking about. You know, like there's right. nothing about the star system. It weights it all evenly, and this could be your first beer you've ever had. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, it makes sense. And I'm not taking away their experience because that's totally fair. If that's the first beer you ever had and it was terrible to you, that you have you can internalize that as one star. That's fine. Right. But to go to someone else who doesn't know your context, doesn't know what you drink or don't do or don't like, that's unfair. It's just, and it's unfair to the entire industry uh-huh. and the entirety of the system. Um, it goes back to, uh, to to what I was talking about with Danny Meyer and hospitality. You know, people will tell people things if they find a reason to tell them. So these right. breweries, and they all, everyone needs, and that's what they're doing anyway. You know, so some breweries are finding ways to, to do it through untapped and that's good. It's good for them. You know, they're, they're achieving something through untapped and then other breweries are doing it through hospitality or through brand or through their food or through the fact that they're just really nice. Yeah. And there are some breweries who do it all. I think Beachwood Brewing in Long Beach is a brewery that does it all. I think mm-hmm. they are nice. I think they have hospitality. I think they have technique. I think they have historical context. I think they have variety in beer. Um, I think they just, yeah, they do it freshness, um, care, quality, quality assurance, quality management. Um, I think they do it all well. And guess what? Beachwood's doing a great job and they're still in business. Yeah. Modern it speaks time, for itself. Yeah. It speaks for itself. Absolutely. They don't need untapped. They don't matter. I, I doubt Julian Strago would bat his eye at the fact that if, if you read Loma Prieta, their pills are 3.8. He doesn't care. Love that beer. Yeah. Love that. That beer's perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what? They they painstakingly brew it with ingredients that they source well and store well. And then they brew it with, with brewers who are trained well. And then they store it well prior to shipping. I just talked to one of the guys at Beachwood and they pulled their beer out of a really hip, fun little pizza place because they don't store it cold. And Beach was like, sorry, we can't sell beer here. We're selling beer here pretty well. And we can't because you don't store it cold. And it, you might risk having one person find a beer that's that's off. Yeah, that's I respect that. I respect that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So you, they will win out. So, so good breweries always win out. I just think it's unfair to people and the industry at large. So, you know, and I'm not, I, I'm not going to hate on you if you use it as a tool. Um, I just, I, I really don't appreciate folks that, that do it blindly and think that they, uh, here's the thing. It's such a, it's such a delicate balance because their opinion matters. Everyone's opinion matters and you cannot, you can't combat that. Like that's, that's, that's so important. Right. So, so you asked, how do we fix it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Talking more. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a, that's a good start. Definitely, uh, it's worked for what thousands of years talking about what you like and what you don't like and expressing mm-hmm. yourself. And so, yeah, there's no reason why we can't just continue to 
congregate and drink together and talk about what we're drinking and what we like about it and what we don't. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, ultimately it's what we've talked about this entire thing. It's what you've based your business around, uh, in some way it's what we're doing at hopped. Like we're just continuing to try to talk about beer in a way that gets, uh, people excited in an authentic way about yeah. what cool stuff is going on out there. Cause there's a lot of it. And, uh, I don't look at untapped. I don't use it. So I don't know how it could, you know, I don't really know the ex- firsthand experience of like where it's steering me wrong, but like, I understand what it's doing. And ultimately, uh, my beer experience is better because I don't pay attention to it. I believe. Yeah, I agree. And, and there's a lot of like context around untapped as a company and like, um, it's interesting. There was a great New Yorker article recently about the CEO or the chairman of untapped who's opening his own brewery called true colors, um, out on the East coast. Um, great mission. And the mission is to employ, um, active gang members, uh, maybe not a great mission, conflicted mission. I'll put it that way. Um, and it's far too, uh, weighted to get into here, but I would, would recommend reading that article to kind of get an interesting perspective on what's happening in beer and this current chairman of, uh, untapped. Yeah. I heard rumblings about that. I need to check that out. It's fascinating. Um, yeah. and it, it is it is far too nuanced of a discussion to, to get into here. And I, I also am not yet to be prepared to talk about uh, that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. it's, it's very weighted and it has a lot of um, has a lot of pitfalls to to discussing. Um, but I think the article does a really good job of navigating that and talking about mm, what's happening, basically. Yeah. Yeah. without commenting too much one way or the other because there are yeah so I, I recommend reading it cool good to know well um i'm gonna end it on that note but before i go um for anyone that wants to keep up with you and the work you're doing at your beer friend la beer hop anything else that you have going anything that you're excited about for end of 2022 23 like what what should people know yeah, man. Um, we don't really do Instagram because I think it's a it's an energy suck that I don't have time for. Uh, uh, so, like the best the best way is to keep up with us is is to sign up for our email list. Honestly, I send out just emails talking about what we're doing, um, mm-hmm. which is my favorite way of kind of broadcasting. Instagram became too time consuming to to fall into their algorithm trap. For sure. And it was really frustrating. It, it was a yeah. great tool for a long time. And this is a platform that I don't, no one asked me about, but yeah, it just became too hard. Uh, so yeah, e- email is the best way to keep up with us. We're, we're, we're cool. doing virtual beer tastings for, for small private groups. We have a beer subscription box that I just adore and I adore all the club members in it. And it's a total labor of love. This is not a business. <laughs> the subscription <laughs> box is not something that is like killing it by any, by any degree. It's just really fun, and it's a beer community that we've created that's very small and very intimate and very, very genuine. Um, and if you're interested in any of the stuff that we've talked about with food pairings, you can always email me. Um, God, we, we had a beer hotline that was running for a long time, 855-LA-BEERS. Uh, I want to be available for beer questions and your beer insights. So just always email me. Hal at yourbeerfriend.com is the easiest way to reach me, and I, I will email you back. Uh, very quickly. That's honestly, that's the best way. Sweet. <laughs> I wish it was cooler, but it's just not. 
No, that works. Uh, I love it. I mean, it just comes circles back to like person to person into like you said, intimacy early at the very start of this for, from the LA beer hop days. Like mm-hmm. this is a, this is an intimate journey that you're on and helping people understand beer. It's not broad strokes. It's down to the nitty gritty. It's connecting with people. And I, for one, dig it from what I've experienced firsthand. And then like everything you've kind of laid out here today is super fun conversation and uh, yeah, man, thanks so much for joining me. This is a long one and I feel like I could just keep going for another hour. But uh, yeah, such a pleasure, Gary. We You're just so on. much fun to talk to you. You're just a ball of beer joy and it's always fun to talk to you. And, and if if I ever get um, up against a wall that I need more beer enthusiasm, I'm going to call you. <laughs> That's what I'm endless, here for. <laughs> endless hallway of beer enthusiasm. You can just keep walking down it and find more, which is which is so fun. So I appreciate all the work that you do, and it's continual. And I know it's a labor of love, and and you really you 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 practice what you preach, which is it's fun to watch. Oh, I appreciate it, man. It's all it's all about connecting with people like you. So uh, thanks for joining me. It was fun drinking beers. Uh, it's always fun drinking beers. So we'll have to do it in person soon, huh? Yeah, this beer tasted great. I mean, I can't recommend it enough. And a Grand Oktoberfest. If you're looking for a Marzen in the LA area, I don't know how far they're distributed, but um, yeah, if you're looking for a that one style, gets that one gets out there. They're with Stone now, so that yeah. one's going down to San Diego. Oh, like, right. yeah, yeah, that's their Man, big. Yeah, they they produce a lot of that one. Roll up to your Oktoberfest party with confidence um, with this beer because it is it is just a total banger. Yeah, yeah, I dig so, it. Uh, leave it with that because yeah. I love those guys. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Gary. All right, that's it, folks. Thank you for tuning in to my long but super fun chat with Hal Mooney. Make sure to stay up to date on everything he's doing and sign up for a virtual tasting or their beer club at yourbeerfriend.com. And for more great local craft beer content, make sure you're on our exclusive email newsletter, We've got some really cool stuff coming up soon, and I don't want you guys to miss it. Head to hopped.com slash subscribe and join now. All right, guys, I'm out. Talk to you next time. Cheers.